The Free Speech Coalition. The Free Speech Coalition. The Free Speech Coalition. Free Speech Coalition. The Free Speech Coalition. The Free Speech Coalition. Podcast. Welcome to the Free Speech Coalition occasional podcast, where speech is fought for and explored. I'm Dr. David Kuman, and with me in the studio is someone Huffington Post called the most hated man in Washington, D.C., a veteran political analyst Charlie Cook called the single most influential conservative in Washington, or for that matter, the United States. The Hill newspaper named him one of the top grassroots lobbyists of 2014. He used to cross-dress with the hasty puddings at Harvard when he edited student newspapers while completing his BA and MBA and was crowned the funniest celebrity in D.C. 2013. This is true. Grover Norquist, welcome. Good to be with you. What makes you so hated, funny, and influential? Oh, well, the hated is because we stopped Obama's um, tax increase, about a $2 trillion tax increase that he was looking for. And uh, so that was it certainly made me more controversial, but made me disliked by the spending interests, uh, taxpayers, we're more approving. Right. When you say we, you mean the taxpayer? Oh, sure. I run Americans for Tax Reform in right. Washington, D.C. It's a national taxpayer group. Uh, Americans for Tax Reform has sort of two big project lines. One is we ask all candidates for federal and state office to sign a commitment to the American people, not to me, as President Obama used to say, or Harry Reid, uh, Senator Harry Reid used to say, but a commitment to the American people that they would vote against and oppose any and all efforts to raise taxes. No no net tax hike. Uh, and frankly, people have kept that commitment and it has saved trillions of dollars for American taxpayers. Wow, and that, that you call the Taxpayer Protection Pledge, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And you said that you came up with that when you were 14 years old. How it, did you get so interested at such a young age? Well, I was 12. And <laughs> um, the teacher in school had said, America, democracy doesn't really work. Nobody knows who their state legislator is when they vote. They don't know what they're doing. Uh, do you know who your state legislator or your congressman is? And as we were kids, I'm driving, I'm not driving, I'm riding in the bus home, and I'm just getting on to Route 117. I, I can visually see it, and I said, if the Republican Party became the party that would not raise your taxes... It wouldn't matter whether people knew the name of the guy running for state legislator or Congress or senator or dog catcher. You could vote for the Republican if you know that he or she would not raise your taxes and that there was quality control within candidates. You had a party position. Now, once you say no new taxes, that means you have to reform government to cost less. Uh, it implies a whole series of things flow from that, but you can't go and say, I'm going to give here are my 10 positions. Nobody remembers. I'll never raise your taxes. Therefore, I'm going to have to rein in the cost of government. I'm going to have to reform government. And I thought that would work. But I was 12 and nobody was listening to me. Later, <laughs> when I wasn't 12 anymore, and President Reagan asked me to run a taxpayer group to help pass his Taxpayer Act of 1986, I created the pledge um, as a way of getting enough votes in the House and the Senate that could stop any bill that wasn't revenue neutral or a tax cut. And then that was so successful on that issue that we brought it into campaigns. And we now have 90% plus of all Republicans in the U.S. House and Senate, the national legislature, have signed the pledge and kept it. And that's why we were able to defeat the major tax increases that President Obama wanted. 
Wow, that's fantastic. Um, so is this what you're doing down in New Zealand as well? You've been brought down by the, the taxpayer union? Yeah, this down meeting with the New Zealand taxpayer union. We were together uh, over in Australia for a few days where the World Taxpayer Association, all the, the Canadian taxpayers and the Australians and New Zealand and Americans and Chinese and uh, Taiwanese and uh, a lot of folks, Indonesians, uh, Filipinos, uh French, I mean, from all over the world, uh, taxpayer groups, some really competent ones, some new ones, um, got together to talk about what works. Fantastic. Well, well, I don't want to get too far into the taxpayer side of things because this is the Free Speech Coalition podcast. I want to talk a little bit about free speech. You mentioned that you were in the Reagan administration. Yes. Um, One of the things at the time, I believe, um, was uh, quite a discussion about how to treat apartheid South Africa. And for a lot of Kiwis, this is a, a big issue because we had the Springbok tour and it was a, a headline-making news and it still reverberates around and, and a lot of Kiwis feel quite uh, responsible in a way for bringing the end of apartheid by opposing uh, a Springbok rugby game and, what and supporting year was boycotts. This is uh, late 70s, early 80s. The Reagan administration... Okay, apartheid though, took- <laughs> went on for quite some time after that, but okay. Yeah, but the, the Reagan administration yeah. took a very different approach. Uh, and not supporting the boycott movement. I wonder what your reflections are now on all of that. Well, it's an interesting one. The question is, how do you affect change in a country that you'd like to see them change their behavior in such a way that after the change takes place, they're freer and more open? Um, And I'm not sure that the shift in South Africa gave you a stronger, completely stronger rule of law. They got rid of racial disparities, the racial... um, uh, apartheid meaning separate development um, but they didn't get development and so they, they lost some of the momentum on economic growth on property rights on rule of law um, and when you have boycotts of a country Iran today Venezuela today are you targeting the government the regime and weakening it or are you actually weakening some of the parts of civil society that you hope will take over when the dictatorship ends or the government reforms and behaves better? That's a very difficult question. Um, are you keeping Castro in power by not trading with Cuba? Or would you be keeping Castro in power if you traded with him and let him get rich off of some of that trade, which would not trickle down right. to the average uh, citizen? Tough call. Mm. It still, it still is a tough call, like you yeah. say, even today's world. Um, but it was an interesting debate at that time as well, and it continues. I guess your philosophy kind of touches on one of the four books that you've written called Leave Me Alone, mm-hmm. uh, that kind of don't get in my life, the smaller the government, the better. And I think you've said you wanted a government as big a, uh, enough to fit in a bathtub. Yes. Um, so in that book, you also wrote about the uh, conservative media at the time, gaining uh, some momentum. And I wonder, you said that the book, which came out in 2008, was meant to last 25 years. Um, what are your thoughts on social media at the moment and the influence that, that has, uh, particularly with regard to free speech? Sure. Um, I think social media has been an expansion of free speech. In the United States, we used to have three networks, ABC, CBS, NBC. And when I grew up, if you wanted to watch the news, if you wanted to know what happened on television, there were three channels. And they always agreed on what the most important story was, the second most important story, the third most important story. It was as if they got together every day. And you'd think normally someone would say, oh, there's this economic issue, there's a foreign policy issue, there's something. And they would come across with different 
things to focus on that day. They never did. It almost as if they were copying each other. Uh, and so there was very little discussion. There wasn't a conservative channel and a liberal channel or even a conservative liberal shows. There was something um, that was called the Equal Access Fairness Doctrine. Sorry, the Fairness Doctrine is what it was called. Uh, and it required that if you were a radio show or a TV station and you gave 10 minutes to people who were for the Equal Rights Amendment, you had to give 10 minutes to people who were against the Equal Rights Amendment. Time-based. Time, yes, yes, oh. yes. Um, and what it meant was on controversial issues, look, I'm trying to sell ads. Um, you mean if I do 10 minutes on this, I got to do 10 minutes of the other thing, and that's 20 minutes? Oh, let's just not do it. Let's do something that's not controversial. Right. So the, then, of course, the establishment would decide – this is not controversial. We need to raise taxes to pay for X. That's not controversial. Uh, so there's no alternative side to that one. Uh, so there was a false sense of unanimity. And real issues didn't get debated. Uh, and what you'd want, I would think, is for ABC to push for some particular piece of legislation. Maybe CBS would be against it. and You'd have some at least argument Some on diversity different channels. Of opinion. A diversity of opinion, yes. Instead, what you got is three people in monotone, all agreeing all the time, uh, and partly what they did was they took what was in the New York Times that day and then talked about it on TV. When we had talk radio liberalized, when we ended the, free, the fairness doctrine, it was during the Reagan years, a, the FCC said, nope, you're free to talk about what you ever want to on as long as you want to, and you can talk only in favor of some piece of legislation or an idea or you can be for the environment you don't have to have somebody come on to be against the environment um and you can talk about religion and not have to have somebody speak for the devil um you know who's, who's the opposing guy? atheist maybe. yes or, you know satan worshippers <laughs> it's the mormons against the some you know right. uh it was really goofy to have those kind of constraints and i don't even know quite what they thought they were fixing Part of it was there are only three stations, so we have to control it. On talk radio, there were dozens and dozens of radio stations, and some would be liberal and some would be conservative. And if you want listenership, nobody's going to listen to something that's, you know, for one hour, the liberals, and then one hour, the conservatives. Conservatives will want to listen to conservative shows, and liberals will want to listen to conserv liberal shows. Uh, and you can have debates and so on in there. Uh, but... Only when the fairness doctrine, the law trying to make it, things fair, got ended, did we have an explosion of left and right and many different opinions on radio, on TV. And, and of course, the same thing is true of uh, social media. And I hope we don't get in the business of trying to, you know, carve out the edges. Oh, that's too conservative or too liberal or too something. And we're going to homogenize everything down to where Nobody wants to be there and listen. I, the best way to beat a bad idea is with a good idea. You want more talking, not less. You want more outrageous in different directions rather than nobody being outrageous. If nobody's offended and it's not outrageous, nobody's learning anything. Sure. I, I completely agree with you. But to play devil's advocate, there's a lot of discussion in New Zealand, particularly at the moment, about the, the role of extremism on social media and people having extremist views uh, and, and some views that are, are highly offensive. Um, and I wonder if you see a place for that in social media at all. Well, here's the challenge. Um, who decides what's offensive and who decides what's extreme? Uh, we were told that Goldwater, when he ran for president, he was extreme and that Reagan was extreme. In point of fact, from a left-wing perspective, Reagan was extreme. 
from the standpoint of most Americans who elected him twice with strong majorities. He carried 49 states the second time he ran. Wait a minute, but he, only five years ago, he was extreme mm. and would have been censored by the fairness doctrine. Mm. And, you know, oh, well, if you're going to talk like that, we have to bring in some communists to debate you. Uh, I think it's very dangerous for anybody to tell anybody else that you can't say anything at any given time. Um, and even when it's outrageous or terrible or bad, as far as I'm concerned, um, I'd much rather have the answer be more debate rather than less. Well, I, I completely agree with you, and I agree with the title of your book as well, Leave Us Alone. Yeah. Uh, let us have the debate, the discussion, the conflict, uh, and let us thrash it out. Um, I wonder if you see any threats to free speech at the moment. We're certainly feeling it a little bit here in New Zealand. What, what is the American experience? Oh, absolutely. No, when I was in college back in the 70s, uh, there was the Revolutionary Communist Brigade on campus, and they had little signs that said, free speech for whom? And they were against free speech for anybody who disagreed with them. Um, there was the book The Intolerance of Tolerance by some left-wing guy, I forget, thankfully, who he was. But the point being, if you tolerate many different opinions, you'll never make everybody do the right thing. And that's intolerant of right. my winning. Right. <laughs> um, and therefore, some people should not be allowed to speak or be hurt. Uh, and that is the position. Increasingly, I mean, I'm a Reagan Republican, a libertarian Republican, uh, but it's our friends on the left who used to talk about free speech and the free speech movement in Berkeley and so on who've given up debating global warming. That's settled science. Can't talk about that. Can't disagree with me. Settled science. Have to do that. Um, you know, the hockey stick was settled science until it was nonsense uh, and turns out to be inaccurate. Um, the only way we find out what's right in science is to keep challenging it. If you talk about being settled science is, is kind of ridiculous it's not settled we keep looking at it even well gravity but we keep looking at how gravity is supposed to work and why it works and so on you keep learning you keep debating uh so i i think that those people who want to shut down an argument are kind of telling you they have a weak argument and the best way to find out if somebody thinks they're wrong <laughs> um is if they're suggesting that others should not be able to challenge them because it offends them. Right. Um, it hurts their feelings rather than it attacks their ideas or undermines anything of, of well, substance. It's, it's simply a way to shut down debate, to, to tell somebody, you can't say that. Why? <clears throat> because it offends me. Well, then I'm the dictator of anything you want to say because I'll just, I'm offended at that, I'm offended at that. And only when you say things that I agree with am I not offended. Well, it's interesting, though, that you, you bring up the, that it's coming largely from the left side of politics because I would have thought that historically the progressives, the liberals, the, the left would have been in favour of free speech because it was speaking power, speaking truth to the man and, and driving forward agendas and, and it was the only way to really make change possible. So why do you think there's been that shift in thinking? And, and what would you put forward as the best argument from a left perspective for free speech? Sure. Well... People who do not view themselves as in power, who do not see themselves as the dom as controlling the dominant narrative of the age, want open and free debate because they're trying to get into the debate. They said, "I've got an idea that's outside the parameters of what today's society tolerates, and I want to bring them into 
just be discussed. Well, once you get in to be discussed and you become the dominant narrative, and the dominant narrative in the United States is the liberal narrative, the left of center narrative of, of you know, if the government spends money, it's helping people. Really? Could we look at that? Hey, hey, it just is. Um, and once you're the dominant narrative, you want to shut down all challengers. Now, that used to be in England, um, when the Catholics ran England, anybody who wasn't Catholic was outside and wanted to be part of the debate and wanted to read and debate and speak. And then the Protestants took over and didn't allow the Catholics to talk. Um, so it used to be sort of a religious uh, closure. This is We've got the truth here, and anybody else is a heretic, and they need to be shut down because they're endangering the souls of everybody they must might confuse. And our non-religious friends on the left have the same concept that you know they know the truth. It's not a religious truth. It's just the truth. And anybody who interferes with that is doing damage. So you have to shut them down. Um, it is this now. If you know you've got the truth, you think you'd walk with a little bit of a swagger and say, "I'll take all comers. Mm-hmm. Let's debate." I run a taxpayer group. I will debate anyone on the virtues of lower taxes versus higher taxes, more limited government versus unlimited government. That I do that all day. Why would I not? People who tell you that certain topics are not to be discussed. They're also telling you they know they're not right. Mm. And it, it does seem very much like the uh, the Dark Ages and Middle e- medieval times of blasphemy laws and the neo-blasphemy yes. laws that our government seem to want to pass really you know, scares us down here. Uh, Grover they should, said, they should. It's it's tyrannical. Yeah. It's nonsense. Well, and, and hopefully we can resist here in New Zealand. We don't have uh, a First Amendment like the United States does. Get one. Get one. <laughs> it's important. The Brits get all wrapped around the axle on this too you think if it's not written down i mean how difficult is it to come to an understanding of what works i mean in the united states we were blessed with the first amendment which is not just free speech but it's freedom of religion freedom of assembly freedom to petition um freedom to disagree with the dominant narrative of the day um you know at one point they were hanging witches in the colonies and then they stopped because they had a conversation about the subject, because it was debatable whether we should hang the witches. Um, and the people who always want to hang witches think it's not debatable. Well, I, I certainly hope that we don't have any any more witches that are uh, strung up here or, or even hung in the future. Uh, thank you for sharing your thoughts with us. It's been a pleasure to meet you and uh, enjoy the rest of your time down here. I hope you find some hobbits. <laughs> Good to be with you. Yes, I'm looking. Thanks, Grover. Join us in the fight to protect free speech in New Zealand by visiting www.freespeechcoalition.nz. This has been the Free Speech Coalition's occasional podcast. See you next time.